Good morning. Happy Independence Day. I don't know if you saw that. So I'm not very tall, and for some reason I was concerned this, like I've got a foot before this thing's going to hit me, but I came up ducking. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> it's like people that they're around a helicopter and it's 10 feet over, but they're, they're ducking. So, well, happy Independence Day. It is an amazing blessing that we have freedom in this country because uh, for the majority of human beings, for the majority of civilization, people, most of them have not been free. They've either lived under the control of a dictator or a king or a warlord or somebody like that, or they uh, were in a, maybe a state of anarchy or fighting for survival amongst warring factions. And very few people uh, have had a a government that not only has a constitution that that kind of restrains the government from infringing on the rights, but also have an opportunity for uh, for people of any any walk to participate in in the government and to have a say in the laws under which they live. So we truly are blessed. We're we're not only blessed, but after the American Revolution and the establishment of the U.S. Constitution, our um, wave of freedom and of establishing a constitutional government really swept the Western world and is in various parts of the rest of the world as well. And so God's used, God, God gave us that freedom and God has used that freedom and that blessing to, to bless others, uh, both in this country and around the world. But there's, it's interesting that if people live under a free government, uh, that protects their rights, that gives them an opportunity to participate in that government and maybe passing laws or being a judge that rules on the laws or whatever it might be, they still may be living in some form of slavery. They still need freedom, the freedom that Jesus Christ provides, the freedom that's different than just the freedom of being a, an American in a free system. And the freedom that Christ provides is what we're going to speak about today. Now, last week, I began this series with a uh, kind of heavy emphasis on the freedom of Christ and what he has delivered us from. And the two things that he has delivered us from, the slavery that he's delivered us from, the first is the slavery of what we call the law of sin and death which is that we are all sinners, that we are all uh, not righteous enough for, to, to approach God on our own, and that if we live a life away from God, and we, we may spend an eternity away from God in eternal, uh, in eternal death, in hell. God saved us from that. He saved us that, from that because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. He came to earth. He paid the penalty for our sins by dying for us. And then if we accept his salvation, his grace through faith, not through anything we've done, but simply by accepting his sacrifice for us, then he has delivered us from that eternal death. Instead, we can have eternal life, eternal unification with God. And the second thing that he freed us from was what we call the, the law, the, the slavery of the law. And what we mean by that and is that many people 
uh, in, in the Bible and specifically in the Old Testament, that people had kind of a, a difficulty having a close personal relationship, a faith-based relationship with God. The people of Israel did. Um, Abraham had a faith-based personal relationship with God. So did Moses. But the people of Israel said, we, we would like an inter- intermediary between us and God. And so God gave them the law. He gave them a set of rules by which they should live. And the whole point of the law was not to make them righteous, but was for them to recognize they could not be righteous through their own efforts. And so even the law, they people, even under the law, people became reconciled to God through sacrifices, through God's uh, regular exercise of grace in their life. And one of the things that we learn when we become a Christian is when we accept Christ is that we we know that those efforts to be good enough for God, those are called dead works and that we can't ever be good enough to be righteous and acceptable to God on our own. So he calls us to repent from dead works or to quit trying to achieve righteousness through dead works or through our own efforts. And that's the other thing that God made us free from is the slavery of those dead works or the slavery of that law. So I talked a lot about that last week. If you missed last week, you can listen to that online. And we talked about uh, the, the conundrum that that presents for Christians when on one hand we say, yes, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I understand that I am a child of God, yet I still struggle with sin. I still do not live a perfect life. What do I, how do I handle that? And we talked a lot about that last week. And that's kind of where I want to pick up again this week. And that process, that, that, that understanding of that comes from understanding the two different things we want to talk about in the process of salvation. The first one is called justification. And that's when you accept Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that God declares, he legally declares that you, your sins have been forgiven that you are a member of the family of God and that he actually accepts Christ's sacrifice for your sins and he then views you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That happens, that's a, that's a process that then saves our spirit, the eternal part of us that lives on forever. And it happens not because of anything we do. We don't earn it. We don't work to achieve it. We simply, through faith, accept God's sacrifice and we accept his grace. And then it's, it's done. But there's another part, which is the part where we, we kind of ended with, and we're going to spend more time today, which is sanctification. And that is this uh, dealing with this issue of, I'm a Christian, yet I still sin, and how do I deal with that? Sanctification is the process of, over a lifetime, becoming more like God. It's, it's actually setting aside. You're being set aside from the earth to be, uh, from the world to be more like God. And it is a progressive process where God does the work, but you as a human have to partner with him in, in what you're doing in your life to, uh, to surrender to that sanctification, to walk with God, and it happens over the course of your lifetime. You're never going to be completely sin-free until you're ultimately united with God in heaven. And that happens, that's a journey of your soul. Spirit is the eternal part of you that is made in God's image, that identifies with the Spirit of God. The Bible says that those who worship God worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's the part that's instantly saved through justification. The soul is the part that's, that's inhabiting this body that's walking around. Your emotions, your thoughts, your, your plans, your, your, uh, your uh, ambitions, those things, your will. That's the part 
that is continually then being sanctified through the process of sanctification. And that's why we have to understand God's work within us so that we don't get frustrated when our soul is not instantly perfect. Our body is not going to be perfect until we're ultimately given a new heavenly body in heaven. Our soul also is on a process towards being like Christ. And so this is a verse, this is in Romans chapter 8, and we, I highlight, this is again a repeat from last week, but I want to highlight this just to understand the, the two processes here, right? First, beginning of Romans chapter 8, he says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. That's justification. And then he goes on to say, For if you live according to the flesh... You set your, your mind on the thing of the flesh. But if you live according to the spirit, you set your mind on the spirit. And he goes on to talk more about living in the spirit. That's sanctification. So we're going to spend a little more time talking about that. But the whole point of this theme is freedom in Christ. So we want to begin by reminding everyone that if you are a child of God, if you accepted Christ as your savior, you are free from the law of sin and death, and you are free from the slavery of dead works trying to be good enough for God. So this sanctification process we're going to talk about now is not this process of now that I'm a Christian, I have to try to be good enough to be a Christian. No, it's now that I am a child of God, I want to learn more about what it means to be in this family and draw closer to God. And that's, that's always the struggle as a Christian is we are often tempted to, we're tempted to take off that slavery of, of uh, you know, earning our way to God, become a Christian, and then we often have a tendency to try and put that slavery back on. And that's what we want to resist. So to do that, I want to talk about three different attributes of sanctification. I've already kind of previewed them. The first is that it increases throughout your life based on your process of working with God. It's never complete. We are never completely perfect until we are united with Christ. Second is that God is the one that does the work of sanctification. Just like with everything else that God renews in us, he's the one that does the work of renewing us through the Holy Spirit, through his word. And then finally... We aren't just sitting on the, in the back seat along for the ride. We have to partner with God in going through this process with him. We have to actually take the steps on this walk. And the first step, as you're going to see, is surrender. Before I get to that, I got to finish this, this point. I always like jump ahead. I'm so excited. I want to jump ahead to the next point. Before I get to that, I want to focus on this idea of that this is a lifelong process because if we don't understand that it's a lifelong process, we get really discouraged. I've been saved for 30 days. I haven't gone out and, you know, become Billy Graham. And, and we have to understand it's a lifelong process. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm going to come back to this chapter a little bit later. But the key here is that we are being transformed. We're not, we were transformed and it's complete. It's we are continually being transformed. It's an ongoing process. In Philippians chapter 3, this is Paul saying, Not that I have already obtained uh, perfection or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ had made me his own, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That goal is always before us. We continually go towards it. 
And that's, that's what God wants us to do with the understanding of don't be frustrated that you have not achieved perfection because only God is perfect. And yet continue on that journey because by continuing on that journey, then you grow richer and deeper and more knowledgeable and receive more blessing because of God's power in your life. And more, for that matter, more power over sin. So in Colossians chapter 3, again, this is a little bit more about constantly being renewed. Seeing that you have put off the old self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Not only are you being cleansed, but you are gaining more knowledge. It's a process. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, he gives this example of we're running a race, a long endurance race. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It also says the completer of our faith. So this is clearly, he's talking to people who believe in Christ already. And he's saying, continue to run the race and don't grow weary. It's a long race. But let's take, take things that are carrying you down, like sin. Get those off of you so that you, you are lighter and you continue to run, expecting Christ to actually fulfill that in you. Now, along the way, as Christians, we can, and as people who are, are digging deeper and deeper into the Lord, we're then going to become more, more uh, exposed to the greater and richer depths of glory that God has for us, and greater power, uh, greater freedom from sin, greater uh, ability, ministry abilities, or knowledge, or all these things. But along the way, many times, the folks who are able to get, who walk deeply with God, then they may reach a point, a temptation, where it's like, Oh, it kind of becomes boring, or it becomes so we come we become so used to this particular godly lifestyle that there's still some areas, there's still unconquered territory in our life, but we've we've kind of you know walled that off. Of hey, we're doing pretty good. We're not out cheating on our taxes. We haven't committed any crimes lately. Whatever it might be, right? But there's still some areas that we may wall off. And I found this interesting from Wayne Gruden, Grudem, who wrote uh, this kind of textbook called Systematic Theology. He says, as Christians grow in maturity, the kinds of sin that remain in their lives are often not so much sins of words or deeds that are outwardly noticeable to others, but inward sins of attitudes and motives of the heart, desires such as pride, selfishness, lack of courage, lack of faith, lack of zeal in loving God with our whole hearts and our neighbors as ourselves, and failure to fully trust God for all that he promises in every situation. And that's what we don't, we don't want to engage in this, in this process where we, we're like, oh, I'm deep in God. I've been serving God for 50 years. I've been pastoring. I, you know, I, I basically memorized you know, large chunks of the Bible. I've taught all these subjects. And it's kind of gotten a little bit stale. And because it's gotten a little bit of stale, then I've allowed other things to build up. I've seen this happen with people that have been lifelong Christians, people in the ministry for long times, as certain kind of little castles of pride that build up in them, or certain uh, certain areas where it's just like, yeah, God, I, I got it. I'm in charge of this part. You're in charge of that part. And again, that's a con- constant process that God wants to renew within us. And that's the key. God wants to renew within us. He That's the second part of sanctification. He is the one that accomplishes that work. So let's take a look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We started with this verse a little bit ago, and I want to come back to it. Now, there are certain certain areas that I I really want to just 
camp on, but I can't because I want to cover a lot of different areas for everybody to look at. But there's, um, last week there were a couple of key chapters that I kind of emphasized, hey, you should go read this whole thing. This week I would say this is one passage. If you want to go back and really read this, this is really rich. Second Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. And I can't get through all of it today, but I want to highlight a couple of things. In, I'm, going to, I'm going to read a couple of verses in a minute, but this point about verse 16 where he talks about the veil, what he's talking about is he's talking about when Moses was uh, leading the people of Israel through Egypt. And we talked a bit about that last week. He was still in a very close uh, relationship with God. He was, he was very close to God. And, and the Bible says that when he was spending time uh, in communion with God, he would come back to the people that he was actually glowing, and it kind of scared everybody. So he was wearing a veil over his face at one point in order to, to, to not scare them. And so now he's saying, you have the opportunity to have a personal, close, rich relationship, a real relationship with God, like Moses did. And that veil, we want to remove that veil, remove a barrier that be between God and you, between God's reflected glory and you. And so I want to pick up again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit in verse 4, and then we're going, to, we're going to have to skip ahead. Like I said, I can't read the whole thing. But he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Again, God accomplishes the work of sanctification within us. We don't fix ourselves. If we could fix ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Whenever they refer to that, like the law or the letter that kills, he's referring again back to dead works. He's saying that will kill all, you know, kill you and all your spiritual zeal, but focus on the spirit. And then he goes on to what we have here in verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's referring back to the veil that was on Moses' face. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." And in a chapter later, he says, So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Again, this is God that's accomplishing this work within us. That's the key here. It, and we're going to have a role in that, which we'll get to in a minute. But, but that, that level of power, that level of authenticity, he wants for each one of us that Moses had. And then... There are other ways. Now we're going to run through a number of different things to just highlight of how God sanctifies us, how he continues to make us like him, transforms us. One of those is cleansing. Ephesians chapter 5 says, that Christ might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, meaning the word of God. Okay, his words wash us so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So when he says the church, he's referring to us, not just this group of people here, but the worldwide church, all who believe in Christ. And again, God accomplishes the work 
of cleansing his church. It's our responsibility to build uh, and, to, and to kind of participate in the church, even though Christ says he will build his church. And that's part of our struggle sometimes within church leadership is we forget Christ is the one that's going to build his church and cleanse his church. And yet we have a role to fulfill, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then another example of how he sanctifies us is through revelation. Because there's so many times, even when Jesus was ministering, he said, God communicated in mysteries, so sometimes you don't understand it. And he would, he would speak in parables. Or he would speak, then he would later reveal to his disciples. It says throughout the, uh, the, the Gospels how Christ was revealing the truths to his disciples. And the Bible says that now if you believe in Christ, that he will help you understand the mysteries of God. One of the ways he does that is by his, by his revelation of truths to us. In 2 Corinthians, he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He also sanctifies us through giving us power. And we, we've talked a little bit about that last week, about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that in the future. But in Acts, Jesus promised the disciples before he left that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit that would, who would come upon you. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit would then give them power to be witnesses throughout the world. Now, here's another one that we, we can't overlook, and that is that God sanctifies us through rescuing us. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, this is Jesus giving the parable of the, the lost sheep. He talks about how a man has 100 sheep, and then one goes astray, and he goes and finds that one and rescues him and brings him back, and he has great joy that he's rescued that sheep. There's also the parable of the prodigal son, the son that goes away, and when he returns, the father welcomes him back with joy. So those are, he's speaking in there of someone who is in the family, someone who is a sheep. We're talking about someone who is a follower of Christ, and they have gone astray. And that happens, doesn't it? I, it's happened to people in my family. I know it's probably happened to a lot of people in your family. That there's not this this thing of well, you've gone, you've gone, you know, half a mile outside the compound. You're now cut off, and you're never to come back. That's God, not God's plan. God expects us to fail. He expects us to sin. He expects, uh, you know, people to walk away at some point through sin or frustration or hurt relationships, whatever it might be. And he wants to bring us back. He rescues us from the, the sin, from being lost, from uh, the bondage, whatever it might be. That's part of his plan of sanctification. So if there's someone out there you know who's gone astray, who's lost, or who needs to be rescued, God's plan is to rescue them. God's plan is to bring them back and restore them. He doesn't have this thing of, you're dead to me. We're going to cut you off and never speak your name again. That's not God's plan for his sheep who've gone astray. So have hope in that. Have hope in that if you, if you know people that are in that situation. God also sanctifies us through discipline. And sometimes that discipline can be painful, but it's brought for correction for our own good. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12, he says that for the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom the father or mother does not discipline? Discipline because you intend to instruct, correct things that are wrong and then instruct them in things that are right. And God does the same thing for us. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that God gives us, he, he imputes with us in, within us godly will to do his, his work. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a lot of times we just don't have the motivation. We don't have the, the desire. We don't have the will. We don't have the belief that we can accomplish it. God will, God will give us 
the will to accomplish those things. And God will equip us. In Hebrews chapter 13, he says, Now may the God of peace equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So this verse is an example of good works contrasting with dead works. We talk, I've talked about dead works a lot. I've got to beat that horse to death, right? This is an example of good work. Good work is when God is working within us to accomplish his will. We're, we're Christians who are trying to serve the Lord, not trying to do certain things to be good enough to, to kind of get in the side, the side gate there in heaven. Now, God accomplishes all these things, but he also requires of us to partner in the process of sanctification with him. We cannot just be along for the ride and expect fruit and knowledge and power to just kind of spontaneously come into our life. He talks a lot about, you talk about a garden and, and the different, uh, God used, Jesus used a ton of analogies. But one of the examples would be weeding. There's a, there's a, there's a parable he used about weeding when you plant a crop, but weeds come up within it and how you have to deal with that. So what's our role in sanctification? We have a role. The first thing is to surrender, to surrender our lives to him in order for him to work within them. If you take a look at Romans chapter six, he says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's talking to people who've accepted the Lord. He's talking to people who are children of God. Yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life. Surrender yourselves to God. Hand over, there's a, going farther in those verses following that. He says, yield your members, hand over your bodies to God. You have to walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to end with this. But he says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He goes on to say, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You, you must live in the Word of God. Love the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to, to saturate you, to instruct you, to teach you, to cleanse you, to confront your sin. Colossians chapter 3. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And then like anything in life that we're going to do, that we want to do well, that we want to do over the course of a lifetime, it's a daily process. A daily devotion process and, and making daily decisions for God. This is again... Colossians chapter 3 is one of those that you want to read and you want to reread and you want to just spend some time on. Set your minds on things which are above, not on things that are on earth. And so here's all these examples of things that God, as a as godly lifestyle, tells us that he wants us to do. Now, if you look at the, if you look at the teachings of Paul throughout the, the New Testament, he understands this, this two, these things that I've talked about, justification and sanctification. I should say it the other way. I, I understand it because I followed his teachings, not <laughs> Corey taught it and Paul gets it. But he emphasized that, that there is a difference here and there's a distinction. He spends a lot of time speaking about justification and about the process of accepting the Lord, and about being renewed, and about no longer being under condemnation. But then he spends an equal amount of time talking about sanctification. And these are all examples here of exhortations throughout the New Testament of, of striving for obedience, striving for uh, holiness, abstaining from immorality, purifying yourself through Christ. And uh, I like this last one, Hebrews chapter 5. Train yourself to, be, to distinguish between good and evil. 
And the next thing we're going to talk about is the role of the church. Through all these things, Paul is explaining that, yes, you have a role, a a daily discipline role in your lifestyle in order to continue to commit your life to Christ. Why is that? It's so easy to get trapped by sin. No matter what we're doing, no matter how devoted you are here, you're still going to have that inner war that he talks about in Romans and he talks about in Galatians. And so that battle, it's like this this story that my, my dad told when I was little. He said, he was talking, there was two little boys were talking to each other. One was a Christian and the other one wasn't. And he said, well, what's it like being a Christian? He says, well, it's like there's two dogs inside of you, a good dog and a bad dog, and they're fighting with each other. And he said, whichever dog you feed the most. That's always going to happen in our life. I've mean, got bad news for you. From now until we're back with Christ, no matter how devoted you are in your daily discipline, to, to the Lord, you will still need his daily grace. And so <clears throat> here's another, here's another example. Now here's, here's the thing. You got this list, right? And this list, these are kind of lifestyle things. We, you have to be devoted in your word uh, to knowing the Bible and to meditating on, upon, the, upon the Bible. Prayer, worship, witnessing to other people, Christian fellowship, gathering with other believers, and then having self-discipline, and uh, self-control. And then the church. God has a plan for us, which is be a part, be a part of a body of believers. Why? So that we can strengthen one another because we cannot do this by ourselves. We will fail by ourselves. So he talks about in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And he talks about how Christians are like a spiritual house where we're all built together and we all have a place and we support each other. And he talks about in Ephesians chapter 4 that he, that he provided a, a group of ministry, kind of different um, roles within the ministry. We call it the fivefold ministry. Evangelists, uh, prophets, um, now I'm like getting the list all wrong. <laughs> there's like a certain way you say it or else you get it wrong. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's how I always said it. So if I skip the first one, then I'm, it's like I don't know my ABCs. But their work is not to just, you know, be the, be the ones up here that do it all. It says their job is to equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of the ministry. In other words, we're all to do the ministry, but we become equipped and we become strengthened and we become able and fit to do the ministry by being part of a ministry where we're taught in a balanced way and we're, in a lot of ways we become the teachers, okay? Here's the concern. The concern is, Corey, this sounds like slavery. This sounds like I'm back under the law. You just gave me three whole slides of checklists of things that I'm supposed to do. And you're telling me I have to do it on a daily basis or else I'm a failure. It sounds like we're, we're, we're in the realm of dead works, doesn't it? Well, if you forget that you're free in Christ, then it, it kind of becomes that slavery. That's why I hammered so much last week on freedom in Christ by first accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are now... Your spirit is perfect in the eyes of God. You're a member of the family of God. And he says, there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. But the process 
of continually being made renewed and being uh, made whole and being more like Christ is a lifelong journey. These, these are the steps on that journey. Now, we all fall down on this journey. We all take a side road. We all take a cat nap. We all just plain get off, uh, get off the journey and we go backwards, don't we? God is not going to be surprised by that. He's not going to go, I thought these guys were perfect. I mean, not like the other billions of people that I made before. These guys were really special. We're, we're not special. That's why we need Jesus. We're just like everybody else. So the, the key is to remember freedom in Christ. Freedom to be like him through relying on his power to sanctify us. So I, I was telling this story of the first service. When I was in junior high school, we were part of a uh, youth group that was, we, we kind of joined in this national thing where we were all going to read the Bible within one year. So you have like, to do that, you have to have like a very regimented uh, daily schedule and you got to stick to it. And so this youth leader was telling us that one time they had this, uh, it was after a youth group night and this one girl asked, well, can I speak with you? And this was like, this was high achiever girl. This was senior in high school, had done missions trips, had volunteered in every ministry there was, was, you know, perfect girl, perfect family, you know, all that straight A's and all this stuff. Never, ever done anything wrong. And so she just, like, everyone's like, ooh, this is going to be a good story. It's not, you know, it's, I'm going to let you down a little bit here. She didn't, like, admit that she would join the Hells Angels or anything. But she gets... She just like is crying and stressed out and saying, I am, you know, weeks behind in my yearly read the Bible plan. Like we're supposed to be all the way in Jeremiah and I'm still back in Second Chronicles. I'm never going to catch up and I'm a horrible failure and this is never going to work. <clears throat> and what she had done is she had taken this that's what he said. He said, look, the whole point of this was just to get kids reading the Bible and to, and to you know, not be afraid of it, to get into it, to know it's, this thing's accomplishable. You can get through this Bible from cover to cover and, and learn about the Lord. Don't take that plan and that effort, which is really great, well-intentioned, and turn it into a cage. Don't turn it into the law. Don't turn it into this, this thing that's dragging you around. So he takes her, her bookmark from Second Chronicles and he puts it on Jeremiah chapter 1 and he goes, there you go. Keep going. You're all caught up. Well, what, about, what about all that stuff I missed? Read it next year. You know, you're not going to get kicked out of youth group or, or of heaven for that matter because you're weeks behind. Well, guess what? We're in, we all have some version of that in our lives, don't we? Like, oh, I haven't, I haven't led anyone to the Lord for years. I haven't uh, been praying. I haven't been uh, reading the Bible. I haven't, you know, whatever it is. And, and, Jesus, and the Lord says, my mercies are new every morning, right? I haven't done this for so long. Well, how about, let's, let's do it today. Let's do it right now. You know, let's, let's, let's get back into, into the groove. It's okay. Because I know you're going to fail. Because if you weren't going to fail, I would have not sent Jesus down there to die for all of you. If I knew that you could do it on your own, I wouldn't have sent the Holy Spirit to, to empower you and partner with you and to bring you all through. If I thought you knew it all, I wouldn't have bothered even having him write the Bible. This is why we need to constantly say freedom in Christ. 
Yes, this is God's plan. I want to walk with him. I want to daily get deeper and uh, closer to him. I want to have a richer and more powerful relationship with him. And, and that's his desire for us. And that's my desire for you. That's my desire for me. But along the way, when we screw up, when we get lazy, then he says, my grace, I'm sanctifying you. You're not sanctifying you. So get back on. Let me sanctify you. Wipe away those few chapters of, or a few books that you're behind. We'll read them next year and let's keep going. Don't re-invite. This is what we're going to finish with. This is what happened in Galatians chapter 5. Do not reinvite the law back into your life. Do not say, God, thank you for setting me free from this cage. Now I'm going to come over here and I'm going to jump back into this cage. Don't do that. Accept the freedom in Christ, but in your battle against sin, if you want to go back and read Romans and the battle against sin and I can't possibly win, remember what he says. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, etc. And the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, will bring you these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are called the fruit of the Spirit. But along the way, at some point, you're going to go, I've got to like put together my little science lab and manufacture goodness and faithfulness. No, we can't do that. We've got to rely upon the Lord. So that's the freedom. It looks like if, if you're not resting in the grace and salvation of God, and if you're not doing it nor because you love God and want to be closer to him, it can look like slavery. And that's where he says that you have a form of godliness, but you lack the power thereof. And that's not the life we want to leave, lead. That's not the life I want you to lead, because then it does become oppressive. The freedom in Christ is I'm a member of the family of God. I am his child, and I want to go closer to him because I love him and because he's going to do the work to cleanse me. That's the freedom that he desires for each one of us. And that's the freedom that I'm urging all of us to celebrate on this Independence Day. Not just the freedom of America, but the freedom from sin and the freedom from the cage of dead works.